Well, let's start with this Atlantic Magazine story, because this is very instructive to what is going on in America. It's a much bigger story than just a sleazy article. All right. So the story appears in this magazine, which is out of Boston. Nobody really reads the Atlantic Magazine. It's owned by a woman named Lorraine Jobs, the widow of Steve Jobs. All right. Now, Lorraine Jobs is a fanatical leftist. She has donated $610,000 to the Biden campaign just in June. Okay, so she owns the magazine and she pays a guy named Jeffrey Goldberg to edit the magazine. Goldberg is a Trump hater like you've never seen. So the article is um, basically entitled Trump. Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. That's the title of the article. Here's the pithy part, and I'm going to quote it. Trump rejected the idea of the visit to a World War I cemetery in France in 2018 because he feared his hair would become disheveled in the rain and because he did not believe it important to honor American war dead, according to four people with firsthand knowledge of the discussion that day. In a conversation with senior staff members on the morning of the scheduled visit, Trump said, quote, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers, unquote. In a separate conversation on the same trip, Trump referred to the more than 1,800 U.S. Marines who lost their lives at Bella Wood as suckers for getting killed, unquote. Okay. Now, here's the truth of what happened. First of all, what does it mean, firsthand knowledge of the conversation? Does that mean the people, the four people that Atlantic said they talked to? And I don't doubt that they talked to people. They had to. All right. But who are these people? Firsthand knowledge, does that mean they heard it? So if you heard the conversation and you're using anonymous sources, you say sources who heard the conversation. You don't say firsthand knowledge because nobody knows what that means. That is dishonest. So that's number one. These anonymous sources are not put into any kind of context at all. We don't know whether they heard it somewhere in a restaurant or a colleague told them. We don't know anything. Four sources with firsthand knowledge. B.S. Nobody could have gotten that published unless they were working for Lorraine Jobs. Well, maybe the New York Times and, and Washington Post would have done it, but they would have done it in a more clever way. This is just garbage. Garbage. All right, so who was it? Who did it? Goldberg, the author of the article and editor of the magazine, in 2016 called President Trump a demagogue, a xenophobe, a sexist, a know-nothing liar. This is a real objective guy, right? Okay, in 2018, he wrote an article said Donald Trump's mafia mindset. That's objective. Then in 2019, Atlanta Magazine put on the cover impeach. Okay, there it is, impeach. So I think we I think we know where these people are coming from. Then another article in 19, unfit for office, Donald Trump. Donald Trump's narcissism makes it impossible for him to carry out the duties of the presidency. 
This is a cartoon. This is like Mad Magazine. Atlantic Magazine is like Mad Magazine. In fact, Mad Magazine is going, why didn't we think of this? Okay? Now, if somebody had done this to Joe Biden, never would have gotten out into the media. Media would have said, ah, this is a bunch of crap. You can't write an article about four people with firsthand knowledge and not define them. It never would have gotten out. Maybe on the far right websites, and there are not very many of those, but it did get out. Okay, here's the kicker. John Bolton, who despises Trump and wrote a book cutting his throat, okay, said this, go. According to what that article said, uh, the president made uh, disparaging remarks about our soldiers, the people buried at the Anmarn Cemetery, uh, in connection with the decision for him not to go to the ceremony that was planned that afternoon. And, and that's, that was simply false. I don't know who told the author that, but that was false. And I recounted that in, uh, in my book, The Room Where It Happened, and, and uh, re- re- reaffirmed that in response to questions the next day. <laughs> Bolton says it's bull. And Bolton's a national security advisor. So he's just, Bolton, the guy who's just slamming Trump all day long. Pompeo likes Trump. Secretary of State says, look, I was there. I never heard anything like this. Now, if Donald Trump had actually said these are losers, the U.S. Marines killed in World War I, okay, if he had said that, it wouldn't be two years later that this would become forth. Everybody would have known that. And that would have gotten around real fast. But no, it comes two months before the election. So this doesn't stack at all. So, my friend Jennifer Griffin, excellent reporter, Pentagon reporter for the Fox News Channel. Jennifer is one of the finest human beings I know. She helped with Independence Fund, got me involved with the track chairs for the vets who were severely wounded. She is an excellent reporter. Okay. Jennifer Griffin comes on uh, September 5th, three days ago and says this. Go. My sources include two senior former Trump administration officials who were on the trip to France where these remarks allegedly were made. They confirmed key parts of the Atlantic article and certainly described a pattern of behavior by the president in describing war veterans and wounded warriors that coincides with the description in the Atlantic article. One of these former Trump administration officials told me when the president spoke about the Vietnam War, he always said it was a stupid war. Anyone who went was a sucker. According to this source, the president would often say about American veterans, what's in it for them? They don't make any money. The source said it was a character flaw of the president. Okay, so if I'm the interviewer of Jennifer Griffin, I say, first of all, you're citing two sources, senior former Trump administration officials. Okay, are they the same sources that Atlantic used or different? Are they different sources? That's easy. Jennifer doesn't have to uh, burn anybody. She can still do the anonymous source thing. And secondly, were your sources in the room? Did they hear President Trump call the uh, troops buried in the cemetery in France, losers? Did they hear it? Yes or no? She doesn't explain any of that. So we don't know. It's like sources, 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 sources. What? Who? Who? Did they hear it themselves? 
or is this passed along? One of the biggest cons in the legal industry is if you sue someone and you have no proof about who you're accusing, that you say, oh, but I told Myrtle over here, or I told Eleanor, or I told Sydney the day it happened. What, what is that? What does that mean? Myrtle and Eleanor and Sydney didn't hear it or see it. You're saying you told them. Told them what? You can set people up all day long doing that. That's so despicable. All right. So Jennifer has two sources. I'm sure she'd never, ever mislead anyone who said, yeah, Atlantic Magazine is pretty accurate. But who were they? Did they hear it? And if not, who did they hear it from? You can say all that by using anonymous sources. She doesn't. Now, here's what's true. So I wrote the United States of Trump, and I'm brutally honest about Donald Trump, as you know. The first thing is that Donald Trump did not want to go to the cemetery. He didn't want to do it. It was 40 miles away. He was tired. He was in a bad mood. He didn't want to go. So he was venting, as he often does. Donald Trump vents all the time. Was it because he didn't want to get his hair messed up? No. That's absurd. Okay? So, number one, he didn't want to go. Did he say there were losers? I would be surprised because I've talked to him, and in my book, we talk a lot about the Vietnam situation. And he thought that war was awful and no one should have gone. Now, suckers, I don't know. Okay, but he wasn't trying to disparage the people who died in World War I, the Marines, or the Vietnam vets. He was venting about a war he thinks was a catastrophe, all right? and a situation he didn't want to participate in. That's the truth. That's what happened. All right, so if you understand him, and in order to do that, you need to read the United States of Trump, so pick up Crazy Horse and Trump, get them both, all right? He vents when he's angry. And when he's tired, forget about it. He just says stuff. And he's always been that way. But Donald Trump has done more for veterans than any president in my lifetime. He got veterans medical treatment with their own doctor. With their own doctor. They don't have to go to the VA and stand on a line for two months, a figurative line, and go to some doctor they don't know. He did that. So you'll never see that in the Atlantic article or all the other hate Trump media. Now, Trump believes that John Kelly, former chief of staff from July 17 to January 19, year and a half, John Kelly was chief of staff. He thinks, Trump thinks, that Kelly is the source for this Atlantic article. So, of course, the president vents on Kelly.
I know John Kelly. He was with me. Didn't do a good job. Had no temperament. And ultimately, he was petered out. He got he was exhausted. This man was totally exhausted. He wasn't even able to function in the last number of months. He was not able to function. He was sort of a tough guy. By the time he got eaten up in this world, it's a different world than he was used to. He was unable to function. And I told him, John, you're going to have to go. Okay, that was a mistake. So John Kelly, 70 years old, four-star Marine general, 40 years of service, including Iraq. Even if Donald Trump doesn't like him, and he doesn't, and Donald Trump doesn't like a lot of the generals, okay, he doesn't get along with them. The generals feel that he's an inexperienced guy. He feels the generals are whatever. But it's not necessary to do this. John Kelly served his country honorably. And that's what the president does. He, he, he vents. That's venting. Because he believes that Kelly is responsible for the... Uh, now, Kelly may be, may not. I don't know. But I would never, never do that myself. L.A. Times. Now, this is going to be the worst campaign, most revolting, most defamatory on both sides. But primarily, the press is going to go after Trump. The right wing will go after Biden. And talk radio will go after Biden. But this is, I just want to give you an example of what this is. L.A. Times headline, new Trump ads stoke racial bias among white people in Minnesota and Wisconsin. All right, racial bias, the ads stoke that. All right, here's one of the ads, go. Lawless criminals terrorize Kenosha. Joe Biden takes a knee. Biden and the radical left's weak response has led to chaos and violence. And their calls for defunding police would make it worse. President Trump is making it stop, sending National Guard and federal law enforcement to protect Wisconsin's families. Communities, not criminals. Jobs, not mobs. Strong leadership when America needs it most. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. So that stokes racial bias among white people? L.A. Times? That's just a political ad. Awful. Okay, so the uh, author of the article is a reporter named Michael Finnegan. It's a reporter, not a commentator, not an editorial guy. It's a reporter. Okay, he tweets. This is the objective reporter. He tweets. Trump had a chance to reassure black Americans he gets their grief and rage each time police kill or injure black people. Instead, he dismissed protesters as anarchists, warned of mob rule, and ignored longstanding racism. Ignored longstanding racism? All right, here's another one. Facing crisis, Trump attacks Biden with angry broadsides and false charges as he seeks to reframe the election as a choice rather than a referendum on his first term. Final one, baseless birther attack on Kamala Harris shows how Trump is struggling to define her. How about that? Oh, look at that. Okay, so this is a reporter putting that stuff out in a tweet. Now, Trump was asked about Harris and about the charge that she wasn't eligible to be vice president because her parents were immigrants, not American citizens, when she was born in California. Trump said, I don't know anything about it. I'll look into it. But I know. He didn't stoke this. So this Finnegan guy is another in a long line of corrupt journalists. I've never seen so much corruption in one industry as I see now in the press. I want to bring in 
one of my favorite sports guys, and I've known him for years, and he's been on the O'Reilly Factor and all that, Stephen A. Smith. He's one of the few guys at ESPN that anybody's ever heard of. I don't even know where you get these guys, but they come from Argentina. I love soccer. I love soccer. I don't know who they are, but I know you. I know you. Um, Okay, so am I being unfair by saying as a fan, I don't want to see politics on game day? I think you are. And the reason why, and, and, and first of all, thank you for having me on your show. You and I have, have tussled back and forth in a very friendly manner on numerous occasions in the past. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to do it again with you. Um, I, I think you're being a bit unfair in this regard. And I'll say the same thing to you that I said to the great one, Mark Levin, a few weeks ago. You would have a profound point if indeed stuff was taking place while the game was being played. Somebody protesting or kneeling or what have you before a game takes place isn't impeding your ability to enjoy the game. And that's what I would take. That's where I would challenge folks in that regard. When Colin Kaepernick took a, I'm sorry, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, you can call that politics To, to, to black folks. We don't consider that politics. You know, if you're talking about a president, if you're talking about an elected official, if you're talking about policy, well, that's politics. If you're talking about what's going on in the streets of the United States of America, then that's real life and that's real life issues. And we would and, and somebody like myself, along with various others, would challenge the notion that that's politics invading the sports. It's not politics. All right. Let me cha- let me challenge you. Number one, sure. Colin Kaepernick has become a political guy. If you looked at his 4th of July message just a couple of months ago, it was virulently mm-hmm. anti-American. I mean, it's basically yes, that's true. horrible country. So he's a politician. Right. Number two, on the field this year, there will be mm-hmm. decals on helmets. And mm-hmm. most of the decals will say things that are sympathetic to social justice. So mm-hmm. that's during the game that I'm getting a political mm-hmm. message on the helmet. Now, I wouldn't mind it. If mm-hmm. if you had Black Lives Matter on one side and respect the police on the other side, a little bit of mm-hmm. balance. But you can't have that because of the peer pressure in the National Football League, where 70 percent of the players mm-hmm. are African-American. And a guy mm-hmm. like Drew Brees, a white guy, says, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm not going to kneel because I've got a legacy, a military legacy, and I respect the flag. And he's almost drummed out of the league. Well- well, well, first of all, let me say a couple of things. Number one, uh, you and I don't disagree. I love that argument about balance. I am not somebody that's averse to that. I'm not opposed to that by any stretch of the imagination. If you sat on one side and you had Black Lives Matter, but you also had on the other side, you know, respect our law enforcement officials and things of that nature, I don't have an aversion to that whatsoever. That's number one. So there's no resistance here in that regard. What I would tell you about Drew Brees, who is a good man and a phenomenal football player and has been very charitable and philanthropic in many, many ways uh, to benefit various disenfranchised communities throughout this country. Uh, there, There is no question that some of the uproar that was aimed in his direction was a bit excessive. But as somebody who has spoken to Drew Brees, as somebody that knows him a little bit, let me give you this insight. When he responded, understand what the problem was. His problem was 
there was an issue that took place. And then when he was asked about the national anthem, when Colin Kaepernick originally took a knee, I'm not talking about his comments this past summer that you highlighted and, and, and accurately so. I'm talking about the sole act of taking the knee. He specifically explained, I'm not being disrespectful to the flag. I'm not being unpatriotic. I actually consulted with military folks to make sure that I wasn't coming across as disrespectful. I wanted to do something to bring attention to racial oppression and racial inequality that's going on in this nation. And so when he took that position, anybody that speaks about it and then goes the route of patriotism, your sense the, the sense is you're echoing what the president did by basically hijacking the narrative and turning it into something that it was not. It was never about being unpatriotic. It was never about questioning one's patriotism. It was about bringing attention and highlighting racial strife that the African-American right, community feels know, in this country. There's a difference. You know as well as I do, because I know the right. league pretty well. I know a lot of people in it. You do. You do. That, that, if you are going to stand the national anthem there are going to be mm -hmm. players that don't like you and mm -hmm. that are going to be you know there was a problem with new orleans because the management felt that they would have a divided locker room mm -hmm. and that there would be strife and you can't win if the team hates each other well, and that's well, what the genesis of that situation was well let me give you a fact that you may not you may or may not know this bill did you know that in 2016, 2017, when Colin Kaepernick elected to take a knee, there wasn't more than 11 players who joined him? There's 1,696 players on an NFL roster opening day. Do you know day. why? Do and, you know why? But what I'm saying, only 11. No, what I'm saying, they, 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 they didn't join him. They, did, they didn't, they didn't but do feel you know like why? taking that position. No, well, no. some of them, they have, they have different reasons. There's no definitive answers. I don't have a definitive Here, answer. Here's the definitive answer. Sure. The owners told him not to. Marrow, um, Kraft, uh, the guy in Dallas. Some of them. Jones. Oh, almost some all of them. them so, some some said, of them. Don't, the, don't do other, this. But the others, you're not wrong. But what I'm saying to you is that some of them knew without being told that there were going to be ramifications and it would not be worth it. So and, and That's right. basically you're right about that. So basically you're right. I'm not trying to say that you're wrong. I'm simply saying that the owners didn't have to literally say that to them in order for them to recognize that there was going to be fallout and there was going to be ramifications. But they did. It. And in their eyes, it wasn't worth it. All right. Now, I, I'm writing a column, which will be out on Sunday. And, and Stephen, okay. I want you to dial into BillOReilly.com. In fact, we'll okay. give Stephen, we're going to give him a gratis membership. You don't even have to pay. We're giving you it because I, I want your feedback. Right. No, I sure. want your feedback. So the name okay. of the column is put your money where your knee is. And mm. the column is that because of the social justice protests, all right, mm -hmm. because of them, the National Football League is going to lose billions of dollars. And the way they're going to lose it, and you mark my words, you can use this clip on ESPN is the merchandising is going to be down 50 to 75%. And you know how much money these teams make on the hats, jackets, and shirts. Okay? okay. The television ratings are going to be down, but that doesn't, that doesn't impact on the club's bottom line. They're already paid. Those contracts are already sold. The networks are going to take a hit. All right? Mm -hmm. Just like the NBA ratings are, are terrible. I mean, you're, They're not you're terrible. Having, That's not true. No, no, no. no. You're NBA having playoff games less than 2 million people watching. 
You have playoff games the, that are less than 2 million people are watching. And I you, will double check that because our NBA ratings are pretty damn good. I want to tell no, you no, that. No. We've been doing Listen, pretty good. You look, I've been charting it. Occasionally mm-hmm. a game will pop up to 4 million, but most are mm-hmm. the, below 2 million. You're in MSNBC category, and you don't want to be there if you're the NBA. You don't want to be doing the same ratings MSNBC is doing. That's not, that is not an economic blueprint. So what I'm telling you is, okay, what I'm telling you is that the league is going to suffer financially, and you know these greed-head owners. That's going to kill them well, to lose well, that first of money. All, well, you're right about the greed of the owners because you have to remember they had projected that Colin Kaepernick on an NFL roster uh, a few years back, if he had right. appeared on an NFL roster, it would have cost them about 20% of the gate. And this is them complaining about that in spite of receiving $226 million per owner from their television rights alone. And so you're absolutely right. They're going to penny pinch. They're going to count every dollar and every penny. And if they're losing any money, they definitely are going to be repercussions. Make no mistake about it, because what they're going to say to the players is that if we're losing money, we're going to ensure that you lose money. You want to call yourself a partnership, just like you share in the profits, you're going to share in the losses as well. That's what the NBA is going to have to deal with because of this pandemic. So you do have a point in that regard. My only retort to all of that would be this. America is about 60% white at this particular moment in time, if I remember correctly. 13 to 14% African-American, and then obviously about 17 to 18% Hispanics. So when you say lose money, one would uh, assume that's primarily because of white folks being turned off and therefore won't support I the product. There's a heavy, but if you I have think there's the, a Hispanic. But if you have the minority I think there's a Hispanic component to this as well. Okay, but, 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 well, you think, but what I'm saying to you is that it's possible that you might be wrong about the Hispanic and the black populace. And if you are wrong, then the losses may not be what you think they may you, be. You we'll have to mark, see. You mark my words. And then what's going to happen, and the players don't know this, but you can tell them, once mm-hmm. the revenue and I will. declines drastically in the march in the merchandise the salaries are going to follow down we have reached the apex of national idea. football league salaries right now from now on they're going down just like the hollywood salaries are going down just like the television news salaries are going down because when you alienate millions of consumers and that's what's happening here mm-hmm. and it's not about social justice i believe that most Americans are appalled by police mm-hmm. killing George Floyd. That mm-hmm. 80, 85% of us are saying, we can't have this in this country. But it's mm-hmm. the way you go about it. You can't say, okay, George Floyd is murdered and the United States of America is a evil nation. Once you That's get true, into but, that, then you lose but it. There is, but there is a middle role. So here's where I would say to you, you have a point. And I don't disagree with you if you're just leaning strictly on that point. But my response to that, Bill O'Reilly, would be this. You have to remember that in a lot of in a lot of folks mind, particularly coming from the African-American community, protest equals progress. I didn't say rioting. I didn't say looting. I said protesting. Protesting equals progress, because what you want to do, every effort that you make is in an effort to bring attention to the level of insidious behavior that has been existing in our country. So if white folks stand up, the Bill O'Reilly's of the world and those who may be a little bit younger than you and those who may be a little bit younger than me and they stand up 
and they say, excuse me, we hear you, we see this, we recognize it, and we're hell-bent on making sure that this kind of behavior doesn't necessarily continue, then guess what? Neither will the protest. Neither will the strife. But, neither but will the a friction. Hard and those, it, it works hand in hand. When we talk about America, right. that's what America should be about. We should be your, coming together in that regard. Your vision is correct if everybody is of goodwill and everybody is not. What about most? So there are, what about most? There, there are racists on mm -hmm. in the Caucasian community okay. who, want, who want blacks to be oppressed. There are not yes. many of them. There are not many of them, but the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation are Marxists. They're using yeah. this, all right, to try to overthrow the entire system. And the three women but who here, founded that admit it. Mm -hmm. yeah, so they're not, but here's the it's point. not all of goodwill, last word. That's true. It's not all goodwill. But we do, I think you and I share this belief that for the most part, America is good. And the people in this country are good. Most people are not bad. Most people are good. So if most are good and the numbers are on our side, why can't we squash those who are not good, particularly if they're considerably smaller in number? It takes a joint effort on a part of us, but it also comes with recognizing the need to point out the iniquities of those and coming together irregardless okay. of race and That's ethnicity an excellent and point. saying, excuse me, that enough is enough and we will squash you. America is better than that. It's bigger than that. That's why I believe in this country. I'm on the, I'm on the air right now with Bill O'Reilly, man. We, we agree for the most part with everything That's that right. we're talking about. And here. you made an excellent point. So if we point. can agree, think about that. That's you made an I'm excellent saying. point that people of goodwill can come together. All right. And they can Make it clear to the powers that be, mm -hmm. the 80,000 law enforcement agents, 90% of whom are good people, that no you, argument guys here. Have, you guys have to police yourselves. You guys got to clean this up. But a lot of these protests have been hijacked by the violent people who hate America. That has by the to be way, acknowledged. That is acknowledged, and it's important to point this out. Not you know on the field. Listen, listen, do you remember that when some of those protests were going on, there were black people associated with the Black Lives Matter movement that was screaming at folks to stop causing mayhem and stop acting up. You're compromising our goal. There are people out there who people infiltrate these organizations and cause trouble and the, the actual people that are positive about this movement and go about the business of conducting themselves in a positive fashion get ultimately shoved aside because the, folk, the folks that's squeaking, that's squeaking the most, that's doing, causing all the mayhem, are pretending to be a part of the movement, but they really are not. That needs to be pointed out by people like yourself, the hand of these Levins of the world, and so many others, along with myself. I have the same responsibility you have, and I'm not running from that. All right. I think the discussion we just had for about 15 minutes was probably one of the best discussions that uh, have been on the air anywhere, and that's why I wanted you to come on the program because I knew that would be the case. We're going to keep in touch with you, Stephen. You're going to see you're going to see that my predictions about merchandising and about the owners are correct because, as you know, right. I'm always right. I'm always. No, right. I don't you know, know that. that. No, I don't know that. <laughs> I love actually. I love I love coming on with you and telling you where I think you're wrong. That's part all of right. the fun of being interviewed by you. It's no problem. It's no right. problem at all. We'll All have right. you back soon. Thanks, Stephen. We really All right. appreciate it. All the best it. to you. Okay. Take okay. care, buddy. All right.
Okay, enough politics. Let's go to the man cave in Santa Barbara, California, where Dennis Miller is contemplating the end of summer. And, you know, Miller, it's a riot. I'm looking at the background here. It does look like you're in the bunker. You're okay. COVID can't get through, can it? Um, you know, Bill, I'm not so sure about COVID. I know there's something out there. I don't quite know what it's completely about. Sorry, I'm not a big Skype guy. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. But, uh, oh, those, uh, let me work off those Emmys back there. Okay, um, listen, I, I don't quite know everything I need to know about COVID. I do know that I'm not going to wear a mask for the rest of my life. And I also know that many of the reasons I wear a mask now is so I don't get shot by somebody who wants me to live forever, which would be just too weird for me. All right. And there, I don't know how many people are in that category that want you to live forever, but I will assume there are people like that. Um, <laughs> now, you're a big world traveler. I mean, Miller has been almost as many places that I have, maybe more. So last time we talked to him, he was in Sri Lanka someplace fighting elephants or doing something. Have you been able to travel this summer? What did you, what did you do uh, for the season? That's so funny that you said that because uh, Sri Lanka is opening up in October again. And I'm thinking of going back and living there for a little bit or maybe a longer bit. <laughs> but um, I uh, let's see, I go up to the mountains. I have a place up in the mountains and I've been up there a lot this summer because, you know, that's that sort of travel is still allowable. All right. So that's in Idaho. I'm not going to tell people where it is because uh, some of the people that don't want you to live forever might show up and we we don't want that. <laughs> okay, so. Well, it's very rancorous out there, Bill. I don't know if you're noticing, but uh, one has to wonder if it was this polarized uh, before the Civil War, quite frankly. I, oh when I read Lord. about the Civil War, I think we've had this chat before. Many of the guys seem to go to West Point together, and there was a gentlemanly uh, discourse that went between them. Then they settled with the states. Indeed, Robert E. Lee, you know, was a citizen of Virginia. That's why he went that way, or he could have commanded the Union troops. But in many ways, uh, there was a massive sin on our souls at that point, slavery, and that's what caused the country to bifurcate. But one has to wonder on a day-to-day -day basis, sans social media, was it as ugly and hateful as it is now? And I'd have to guess, no, quite frankly. It's close, though. And, you know, we have a new book, Killing Crazy Horse, out today, as a matter of fact. And the bitterness between uh, the white settlers and the Native American tribes is off the chart. And that's never really been reported, I do. But we are living in, a, in, a, in an age now um, of uh, bitterness. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, this makes your life really difficult because you're a comedian and you are a politically incorrect guy. I mean, I never know what you're going to say. You're not a predictable guy. But now you can get canceled and comedians certainly have if they say the wrong thing. Is that a, is that a topic of discussion among your peers? You know, I don't talk to, and by the way, I have a book coming out today called Killing Crazy Guggenheim, the unknown story about Frank Fontaine from the Gleason yes. show. So that's so <laughs> weird that you would have that one coming out. Competition. Um, I don't, listen, 
I know where I'm at in life right now. I, I don't want to work that hard. It's not the time to be working that hard. I don't call comedians and talk about being canceled or all that. Everybody can do what they want to do. I think the smartest guys would go out there right now. And let's say if you're a huge comedian, Bill Burr, brilliant man, and Dave Chappelle, brilliant guy, I think you can brush up against the third rail of the cancel culture. If I was a younger comedian, I'd stay way far away from anything. I'd mute my feelings down. They've got a toehold now, and they will take away your ability to you know, earn a living. So uh, that would be my advice if I did talk to anybody about it, but I don't. Okay. Um, you and I are movie fans, old movies, uh, and when you see something like Blazing Saddles, Animal House... Uh, the producers, a lot of Mel Brooks material, you know that uh, that couldn't be made today. I mean, the studios would never go for it, correct? Well, that's one thing, Bill, but the grievance archaeology that's going on right now is amazing to me. The people who go back and dig in things from the past, it's like going back and, uh, you know, un un unearthing King Tut and wondering why he's not dressed in contemporary clothes. Let's face facts. There's been uh, crap all through human history. There's been indignities and hate and mistakes and oversights and abhorrences all throughout human history. And there's enough things on our plate today that we should come together and kind of do a fireman's carry to kind of eradicate. But if somebody wants to come up to me and say, hey, you know what I'd like to do today? I'd like to go back and, uh, you know, find out why... Uh, Bing Crosby was in blackface in the movie Holiday Inn. I, they can do it if they want. I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's not my thing. Let's say this. Man has screwed up throughout history. All men have screwed up throughout history. And I don't have time, quite frankly. You know, but I hate it when forward-looking people are always telling me how they're going to back, go back in time to right wrongs. Now... I think that's a very astute analysis because it's a total waste of time. It's boring, but it's also limiting our freedom of speech. Now, you've made a nice living over, I think you're what, 82 years old now? So that's what. 83. 83. Okay. So years we're talking old. 60 yeah. plus years that you've made a nice living with your mouth. <laughs> with your mouth. With saying ir irrelevant things, irreverent things. Not irrelevant. Irreverent things. All right. <laughs> But now you can't, you can't do that. I mean, not only you, Dennis Miller, but it's so boring. It's a, you know, I was talking to somebody about uh, the killing crazy horse and I was saying, you know, I take you and I put you right in the teepee. Can I say teepee? Is that allowed anymore? You know, I mean, it's really this cancel culture of all of this stuff that's going on now. I think this is the most dangerous because it shuts down creative speech it shuts down robust debate and you know when i'm watching tv now watching these commentators i mean these people are like they say at the end of the day 50 times and they make they don't, they're petrified to say anything have you noticed that well let's just say this if i were you and i was coming out with that book today i would call it emotionally stunted and for just cause horse instead of crazy horse because that's where we're at right now we're going to go back and say you know we're not going to talk about the whole incident through a historical prism we're going to go back and say why would you denigrate the man by calling him crazy horse 
It's uh, they that, the that's, what his, that's what his mom named him. So we'd have to cancel. We'd have to cancel his mom. His mom's canceled. <laughs> well, you have to wonder. You have to page Doctor Freud, or or the Oedipus <laughs> the Oedipus complex when your mother literally brings you into the world and immediately pronounces you crazy horse. He must have. It must have been a breech birth. He must have come out sideways. <laughs> that that's a rough name right out of the blocks. Yeah, I, I know. And it was unfair. And if there's any statue of Crazy Horse's mom, it's got to come down, Miller. Last word. <laughs> All I know is this. Life on a day-to-day -day basis has ups and downs in the moment. I don't need to get into the Rod Taylor time machine and go back to bedrock to see if Fred's working too many hours at the rock quarry with Barney <laughs> Rubble. Okay? We got enough problems today. Let's say that happened. We can't go back. Let's figure out where we go from here. And I think there is progress being made. All right. Dennis Miller in the bunker in California, everyone, where I'd be if I were out there. Hey, we'll talk to you again soon, Miller. Thanks a lot for helping us out today. Good to see you, Billy O. Okay, here's a final thought of the day. This week has been a little overwhelming. I mean, I have the uh, release of Killing Crazy Horse. I've got to do this show. I've got to do my radio shows. Uh, a little overwhelmed. The urchins are back in school, live school with teachers, and uh, one's in college, one's in high school, and everybody's running around. We have enough masks, blah, blah, blah. I got like 50 masks in the trunk. Um, so anyway, overwhelmed. I know you, you feel the same way. When you get overwhelmed, slow it down. Slow it down. So all of us do. If you don't, you're going to make mistakes, uh, and then it'll get worse, and then you'll snap and scream. So when I get overwhelmed, I take the terror dog for a walk. All right. Even if the terror dog doesn't want to go for a walk, because the terror dog has a schedule. You go out of that schedule, the terror dog's going, I'm not going out there, and it's raining. But I do. I take it for a while. Slow it down. So in your life, at your home, have a mechanism there that you can just put everything aside for five minutes when you get overwhelmed. Just do whatever. All right. Whether it's read an article or anything. But if you don't slow it down and you get overwhelmed, you're going to get hurt. All right. That is the final thought of the day. Have a great weekend. Please check out Killing Crazy Horse, excerpt on BillOReilly.com. We hope you pick it up. I think you're going to really like it, and let me know what you think. All right? We'll see you on Monday, but we'll be checking in all throughout the weekend.